listening to Model View Conversation, America's premier tech education podcast. I'm Brian Gates. And I'm Ben Golke. And we're here today to talk about uh, building projects outside of the context of a work environment. Maybe you're uh, looking to get your first job and some places as you interview will give you the feedback that they'd like to see things that you have built or projects that you've worked on. And usually that's geared towards where else have you worked and what have you built while you're there. But that's kind of a chicken and egg situation, right? Catch-22, if you have not yet worked somewhere and yet you still need to show people what you have built, well, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult problem to solve, right? If you'd have no experience, but you need experience to get experience, how does that work? Um, and the fortunate part about uh, programming is that you don't really need necessarily any other resources to uh, you know to get experience than basically a computer and your own brain. Um, so, and because of the you know wide availability of, of resources on the internet to host websites and put apps in the app store, and uh, you know a, a pretty democratized situation to both create and then also distribute your software, you can pretty much go soup to nuts from idea to it's a working app and it's in the app store or it's on the web, um, and you can really showcase your work that way. And you don't need anyone else necessarily to to get that done. Um, so today we're going to try and talk about some different ways that you can accomplish that, some different options that you might have, uh, some things to think about. Um, so f- to start off, I think it's important to start at the beginning and uh, think about how big of a project should you tackle, right? That's the most important thing, probably, because the the most important thing to people evaluating the project and what you've done on the project is to say, can I use the project? Right. Right. And if and if the product is too big and too complicated, it is more likely that you will either not finish it or, you know, maybe you will finish the basic functionality, but there'll be things that are kind of stubbed out and missing. Um, and any situation where you're, let's say, at an interview and you pull this up on the screen and you're showing it to them, if you have buttons that don't work and you have functionality that appears to be kind of a placeholder, but not it doesn't do anything, um, that is going to be a problem because they're going to, they're going to think, well, why didn't they finish this? What's, what's wrong with it? Um, maybe they don't know as much as they thought they, they claim that they do. So it's generally better to start small. Um, you can always add more functionality, but from the beginning, you want to start small and, uh, build from there. And are we speaking from experience here with the idea that you want to avoid the, the big giant grandiose project that, is something that you keep chipping away at, but never, ever, ever actually gets finished and shipped? I mean, uh, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it's I, not I, just I, me. I see what you're doing there. But yes, uh, <laughs> if, you, if you would like me to to uh, to explain the, the litany of half-finished apps that are sitting <laughs> on my computer or on GitHub, then yes, uh, it, is, it can be a problem. Um, and it's likely the case that just to give you some advice, you know, listeners out there, it's likely to be the case that you're going to end up over your career with a whole graveyard full of half-finished yes. applications that you thought were amazing at the time and that you just, you know, didn't get around to or that you are still working on. And, um, you know, I mean, I have one app that, that has gone through, I think, four or five different major design re- revisions because I just can't decide how I want to build it. Or you keep wanting to test out the latest and greatest technologies and say, I know where I can use this on the big giant thing that I haven't finished yet. Right. Ooh, AR kit. I'm going to try that out on my on my, on my my thing that's already not ever going to ship. So why not add this new component to it? Um, yeah. So that that is a pretty common thing. Um, probably most programmers can tell you about their their uh, 
their basket of of things that haven't just haven't gotten finished yet, um, and that's normal. But what we're trying to explain here is that you that's fine to have that, but that really what you do want is you want at least let's say one to three decent small complete feature complete applications that you can showcase to employers. You don't want to show them that graveyard of half finished apps. That's Everyone has one, but that's not that's not going to showcase your skills in the best way. Yeah, and that's, a, I think, a good way to look at it. If you have the one to three that you can show people, that's sort of what you put out front. You know, that's kind of the, the first thing people see in the showroom. And then off in the back where you're working on stuff, then you can have the big pile of things in various stages of disrepair and incompletion and so on. And certainly we don't mean to say that you should never attempt anything grandiose and ambitious because those can be fun to work on but it's important for the purposes that we're talking about in this episode to have something that is feature complete that you can show and and say this does everything that i want it to do right now because done is better than complicated right so it's much better to have let's say an app that has four features in it and all those features work than have an app that you're showing that has 10 features but only four of them actually work, right? Or even worse, 10 features and all of and them are half of them complete, <laughs> right? Like I've made progress on all 10, but they're, none of them are actually finished. So what you really want instead is you want an iterative development cycle where you have a couple of features, you get those features functioning, and then once that's fu- they're functioning and stable, then you move on to the next feature rather than, okay, cool, I'm going to have this app that does all these different things, and you start working on each one, and you end up in a scenario where each one is 30% complete. That really is an app that does nothing. Um, so that's that's not what you want. And that also, I think, is good practice in um, getting used to the life cycle of building things where you need to have something, say, once you get your first four features, that then if you want to add another one or several, you need to figure out a way that you can start to build on those without breaking the four that are already there. Right. Yeah, you don't want regression, right? Which is the idea that you add a new feature and then that inadvertently... Uh, break something that you've already got working, right? You don't want to make it any worse. You only want to make it better. This doesn't work now, but it used to work. Right. Not, not what you want to have. It's not great. Yeah, it's not it's something, something you want to explain to your boss when they're, they're like, oh, is the new feature done? You're like, yes, but... <laughs> it, it was done last Thursday. It is right. not currently done anymore. Right. It, that new thing works, but now you can't log in. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, you want you want to start small and you want to keep it small um, and make sure that everything functions before you go about adding new things, new features to it. Um, so the next thing that kind of relates to that, I think, is uh, in order to keep it small, you don't want to overly rely on external dependencies for a couple of reasons. One, because it can just make the project bigger and more complicated. Um which is kind of a problem in and of itself. But also, uh, the point of these applications are not so much to create, necessarily, a production-quality, fully finished, fully polished app that you might sell to someone. The point here is to showcase your skills as a new developer. So um, if you rely too heavily on external dependencies, you can end up in a scenario where the app is, you wrote it, and it's done, and it works, but so much of it is abstracted away from you that you don't really understand how it works and that is very important because if you're going to show that to an employer, they're going to immediately start asking you questions about, well, what about this? And how does this work? And how did you do this? And if most of those answers are are basically, 
oh, I downloaded this dependency and installed this library and I typed this one line of code into my project and now it works. That's that's just not going to do much to showcase your ability. And that's the point of this project. This one is a little bit fuzzy for me. I'm reminded of a line I read in a Ruby book years and years ago that talked about this sort of old grizzled gray beard, you know, neck bearded programmer who would manipulate individual bits with a magnet <laughs> as opposed to depending on something like someone else's operating system. You know, at some level, we are in, entirely dependent on a mountain of work that other people have done from, you know, operating system, text editor, language. And it feels like year by year, the the dependencies just inevitably grow. I mean, I wouldn't want someone to hear, don't rely too much on external dependencies and then say, well, I guess I better stay away from Vue and React and, and that sort of thing. Um, or even the big sort of dependencies that are built on top of projects like that, like the routers or state management systems, or and I'm sure in Swift there are comparable things where mm -hmm. you know 95% of the projects that you start, you have Swift, and then on top of that, for needs that you've run into every time, you install XYZ. Um, so where, if you wanted to give people kind of a rule of thumb for what counts as a... a like legit acceptable external dependency and where is where do you get to relying too much how much is too much yeah i think in in modern software development right most of your app is an external dependency right i mean <laughs> on ios right in order to get anything functioning you need xcode which is an you know an, an ide that someone else wrote and you need um the ios sdk which is a huge collection of libraries and frameworks and code that were written by apple um, to allow you to do things like, I don't know, put pixels on the screen and have buttons <laughs> that actually interact and all that stuff. And you obviously don't want to have to reinvent that wheel. Um, I guess what I'm saying when I say don't rely too much on external dependencies is things like, let's say there is um, uh, there are some images that you want to download from the internet uh, into your application, right? You're going to download them from an API or somewhere on the web. Um, there are ways that you can do, there are a couple different ways you can do that on iOS, one of which is the built-in uh, frameworks, MSQL session, that is used to um, to download things. So it has asynchronous downloading, it has, it has uh, you know, um, completion blocks and, and all that kind of stuff to enable a nice, performant, non-UI blocking interface to getting stuff from the internet and getting it down and getting it loaded into your, into your software um, and on the screen. Um, but you can also use things like AF networking, Alamo fire. There's external, um, libraries that exist that allow you to do that as well, that you'd bring in. Um, and they do have some features that, that are not built into the, to the native, um, experience. But my concern there with that is if all you've ever done is learn how to use AF networking, which isn't necessarily the right answer for every project, and you don't even know how to do it the normal way, then how flexible are you going to be as a developer? Um, so kind of, I guess my, I mean, we're going <laughs> to, we're, I'm treading awfully close to, if you can't do point arithmetic, you're not a real programmer, which is <laughs> right, not, which is not the way we want to go, which is not the way we want to go and not what I'm trying to say. Um, but, but really what I am saying is just basically don't necessarily not use any dependencies, but just think about what is this? Why do I need it? Why is it better than either using the built-in thing or building my own thing? Um, 
and make sure that that thought process is complete so that when you, if you use such a thing and you then get asked a question, probably that question by an You're employer, right. right? Why did you use this? What, what, why is this better than using the built-in version? Or why, do, what features of this library did you utilize that really made it necessary for your project? Those are the kinds of questions you're going to get asked if you do stuff like that. And really what I'm, I guess what I'm just cautioning you here is just be careful about what you pick because if, because if the answers to those questions are, well, I learned briefly how to use it from someone else and then I don't know how to do it any other way. So I do it, I did it this way. That's just not a great answer. Um, it's not going to show that you have carefully thought out the project and the idea. And that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to show, I can build things from scratch. I can make decisions, a whole million different decisions about how to build a piece of software. And I can do that intelligently, and then I can think critically, and I can, I can make sure that I'm not just sort of slapping things together without thinking about it. So that's really, I guess, my point is... Don't not use them necessarily, but just make sure that you know why you're using them. Okay, that helps me out a lot because modern software development involves uh, putting things together at a lot of different scales, right? There's the code that you write just character by character all by yourself, and there's also intelligently implementing solutions that other people have developed first. But if you're going to do that intelligently, then you need to evaluate what is the problem that I'm solving, what are the options for solving that, and what are the pros and cons of each one of them. And I think if you're able to say, uh, defend each decision that you made, which doesn't have to mean that you've like read every line of the source code and you can go through exhaustively, but if you have some level of familiarity with the APIs of each or the sort of usage trends even and... and um, maybe have tried a spike of, I, I tried it with this one, then I tried it with that one, and I ran into problems with the first, and that's why I went with the second. Um, I think that's a, a good level because it's really you're, you're hamstringing yourself if you just wall yourself off from all of the, the pre-made solutions out there. But at the same time, if you do nothing but grab the first one that Google uh, sends your way and just get this Frankenstein's monster of, of other people's packages, none of which you really understand, then um, then you're really not doing the job either because you can't explain what you're doing. You don't understand what you're doing. And And most critically for an employer, the reason why they don't like that is because what happens if you do that to their code and then now we've basically got a, this entity that nobody understands and nobody can actually properly control. And then what happens if one of those libraries detects some kind of serious vulnerability? Well, now you have to fix it, but you don't even know how it works. So how are you going to, uh, you know, how are you going to make sure that your application is hardened against that vulnerability? Or if two packages uh, have some kind of conflict with each other, that they're trying to use the same namespace and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that that's really that's what's why employers would not be happy with that answer of well I just did it because that's what I it's what Google told me to do right like that's not the answer they want to hear from their engineer because they need to be confident that when something does go wrong because it will it always does right that the people that they have on staff have the knowledge and skill to be able to fix it um, that's really what they're paying you for they're not paying you for your ability to sling code necessarily. Because that is a far easier, if it's just typing in words, that's much easier, right? They're, they're paying you for your knowledge and experience and your expertise at 
solving problems. And if and if the problems that you're solving are being solved by just sort of clicking puzzle pieces together without understanding why, that's an issue. Yeah. And at the same time, they're not paying you to sit alone in a room, just you and your text editor and, and your thoughts and build everything character by character because there are effective solutions out there. And it's important to know what the effective solutions are for the problems you're trying to solve and know and develop a sense of when those are best solved by grabbing something off the shelf versus writing something on your own. Yeah, unfortunately, it's it's not really, you can't really go to either extreme. You can't say, I'm just going to use libraries for everything. And you also can't say, I'm going to build everything from scratch because both solutions are very much suboptimal um, and would lead to a lot more time spent in the long run, um, which is not what employers want. They want you to be efficient. So the efficient route is really kind of balancing both of those. Like some of this I'm going to write myself because that's what makes the most sense for the business logic and for the needs of this application. And some of it I'm going to rely on other people because quite frankly, it's been solved, you know, better and, and more efficiently than I could in the time I have. Yeah, there's not really an easy answer for this, as with so many things in software development, and uh, that's why they pay us the big bucks, as they say. Right. <laughs> right. And I guess part of my my issue too is there's there uh, in in the Ruby world you have gems, right, which are the ability to incorporate external dependencies into your project and do that in a fairly efficient way. There's a there's a thing that the iOS world shamelessly stole from Ruby. I'm sure Ruby shamelessly stole it from somebody. Probably. Uh, but basically, it's called CocoaPods. And it, it's the same idea where you have the ability to install libraries and frameworks that other people have written in an easy and efficient way by using these things called CocoaPods. Um, and the thing that I see a lot, um, especially with juniors, is their tendency to look for solutions in, you know, that you can go actually to CocoaPods.org and you can type in something and it will basically do a search on the list of all the things that are available in that system and show you okay these this person wrote this this person wrote this and these are all these different things you can use to accomplish let's say i don't know caching images or whatever right right showing a calendar or heart rate monitor or blah blah blah, blah. there's all kinds of even like ui things you know people have written cool fancy animations and stuff and they've built it into a library and then you can incorporate that um, and and what I see as kind of a problem is sometimes you can get a little a little crazy with that, yeah. and you can you can end up where you're like, oh great, this look at this, and then and you install all these like especially let's say UI animation related dependencies to make your app look really fancy. Um, but what you don't realize is that they were not written very well. Let's say you pick you pick you choose poorly, and you end up with poorly written um, libraries, and then they're not very efficient, and they're slowing your your uh, your app down, and you might even have memory leaks, and you just got all these problems where you're like, wow, this the app has become very slow and and non responsive a lot of the time, and it's because you've kind of bogged it down with a lot of external dependencies that you know may or may not be written very well. Um, and and you can't fix it because you don't know how any of that works. So that's obviously an extreme example. Um, but and in many cases it doesn't go that far. But that's kind of what I'm just cautioning about. It's just not saying not not do it at all, but just kind of be careful about how you're choosing to incorporate those. Yeah. Know know why you're doing it. Because if for no other reason than because I can guarantee you that if you show this to an employer, they're going to ask you why. Um, so even if that's the only reason why you're learning why. That's good enough because that's the point of this of this exercise is to build something that you can then showcase to employers and you can you can be confident and you can look you can be impressive when you are standing there you're explaining it they're asking you questions you are answering those questions in a competent way that's the whole point of why this why you're doing this so 
just make sure that you're setting yourself up for success in that scenario. Okay, if the purpose of this exercise is to show code and projects to employers, how exactly is that done? Do you want to advise people to bring their own machines to interviews all the time and have something running or on their own phones? Or should there be a way to get it more directly in front of the prospective employer? Right. So uh, when, you're, when we're talking about interviews, um, it's likely the case that it's going to be a multi-step process. So if you've never gone through the technical interview process, typically there's at least a phone call. There's maybe even a couple of different phone calls with different people. There's probably at least one case where you're going to go into the office um, of your employer and talk to people in person. Um, so there's various ways they're going to be kind of interacting with you. Um, and so it's important to, uh, in, in this case, we're fortunate that our work can be showcased digitally. Um, so things like putting your code on GitHub or something similar, some sort of public place where a repository where code can be stored and shown off publicly is a good idea because it gives them the ability to look at that and maybe even look at it if they're really on the ball, they're going to potentially look at that before they talk to you, right? They're going to, you're going to send them your application and your resume and various things. And you might put your GitHub profile on your resume. Um, and then they might go look at it and say, oh, look, there's a recent project. Let's go, let's open this up and take a look real quick and see what they've done. Um, so that's one way to kind of, to, to get everything started. But I think it's also really important to show that the code that's in there actually does something. Yes. So you want to have the ability to showcase that application live. Um, so if we're talking about a web application, it's probably going to be on Heroku or something. DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean. Yeah. Some, some sort of place where you can host your code and you can get it to run. Um, uh, and, and you have a URL that they can type into the browser and they can on their own browser and they can go see your functioning live application. If we're talking about an, an app, uh, you know, an Android app, an iOS app, um, at, the, at a bare minimum, you want to show it to them on the simulator. Uh, so you'd bring your computer and you could show it to them that way, which is fine. But ideally, you want to show them actually on a device they can hold and, and touch your, 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 your the screen and they can manipulate the buttons and they can, you know, play with it themselves. Um, so in that case, kind of the next step would be to load it on your own device and bring your own device with you and then, sh and then hand it to them and say, here, you can play with my app. Um, but ideally, you'd want it on, you'd want it public. So the way to do that on for native apps would be on the App Store, if we're talking about an iOS app or the Google Play Store, if we're talking about Android, um, in both cases, it does, uh, I'm pretty sure it costs money on Android as well. I, to, to basically get a developer account and make it so that you can post applications, you have to pay a little bit of money. Um, it's a worth, I think it's a worthwhile investment as a native developer because it's a good place to put your projects and show off what, your work. Are there any ways to sidestep that if, purely for the purposes of getting it to somebody who's going to be evaluating it for technical uh, reasons, like give them some sort of link to a file that they can install directly, or is everything locked down and has to go through the App Store? So we're talking about Android. You can do something called sideloading, which is the ability to load an application directly. Um, so you would get uh, the archived file of the application from the IDE, so from Android Studio or whatever you're using. Um, and then you could, I believe you can even just email to them and they can just basically, if they open it on the email on their device, on their Android okay. device, they can then tap on it and it will install um, that for them. Uh, so I, I do know that there are, I'm not an Android user, so I'm, I'm not totally sure, but I believe there are some devices that don't support sideloading. So it just kind of depends. It's a, it's a much more complicated and diverse 
uh, ecosystem on Android where there's lots of different manufacturers that make phones and different, and then there's different, car- you know, carriers actually will also change the OS as well before they start selling the phone. So it's just a lot more um, complicated and I don't want to give advice that may be wrong, but um, there are, I believe there are places, there are phones that just, that won't accept sideloading um, applications. So just something to look into before if you are an Android dev and you want to, uh, you probably know <laughs> if you are an Android dev, but <laughs> um, <laughs> but something to look into, especially if you're going to try and get something to the employer to take a look at maybe ahead of time, like, hey, I'm going to send you this, you know, a couple days before my interview so you can check it out and kind of, you know, build up your question list or whatever. Uh, just make sure that you communicate back and forth and figure out the best way to get that. If you are on iOS, um, you can use this thing called Test Flight, which is a a service that Apple provides to allow you to do beta testing of applications so that they're apps that are built but aren't in the App Store yet, uh, <clears throat> um, which is possible. It's easy, um, but it, it does require a developer account to do that. So you would have to pay, it's $100 a year to be a member of the Apple Developer Program. Um, so you need to do that. You don't have to put the app in the App Store, but you have to, we have to get that account first. Um, and then you can basically, it's actually pretty cool. They recently did it, made it so that um, you can set up the, test flight uh, instance and load upload your um, your app to them so that it's available for testing and then you can provide a link to anyone you can even put the link on the internet if you want um, and anyone who clicks on that link from an iOS device will be invited to join the, t- the test team and then download the app and run it so it's actually become a lot easier to do that on iOS and that might be a great way to um, to get this to, in the hands of your potential employers if you're not quite ready to put it in the App Store. And what you're saving there is while you're still spending the 100 bucks, you bypass the App Store screening process? So with TestFlight, if you want to do public testing, like I've just talked about, you do. there is still a review process, but it is much faster. It's probably okay. on the order of a couple of hours um, rather than... They've, it's been running about 24 to 48 hours to get full approval for the App Store, like to put it live for everyone. Um, so you, you've cut that down to a couple of hours. Um, so it's much, much faster. I can see where that would have benefits, um, for like iterative development where you want to get something at literally as quickly as possible. Do you think for purposes of interviewing, is there any advantage to, uh, to that sort of testing versus going through a 24 hour process to get it into the actual app store? I mean, if it's fully done and you want it to be something that's publicly, you know, available to the world, then I think really your best bet is to be on the App Store. And and quite frankly, if we're talking about um, kind of proving your skill, one of the things that I've seen over and over and over again on inter- on uh, job descriptions and even from, you know, actual employers in interviews is that what they want is they actually want to see that you've published on the store because there is a whole bunch of, as you can, I'm sure, imagine, a whole bunch of sort of meta skills that you learn by navigating Apple's Byzantine kind of process, right? Yeah, they're, they're the process that you go through to get approved. Um, there's all kinds of, uh, you have to learn how to export your application from Xcode so that you can upload it to Apple. You have to navigate their ever-changing <laughs> interface uh-huh. in something called iTunes, or uh, sorry, App Store Connect, which is basically the web interface that you use to actually upload everything there's things like the uh, the artwork you know the main icon which they require in a couple different sizes there's screenshots there's preview videos there's descriptions there's keywords there's 
just all this stuff you have to decide on pricing and um so it's it's not really necessarily any more difficult than filling out a form um but it it can be somewhat complicated and then of course there's a process of actually getting it approved which you that wouldn't happen if your app crashed and it had problems and you know if the app is of a quality level that is low enough that it wouldn't pass app review that's also um something that you know employers are going to look at is oh the app is at least good enough that they were able to get able it to through get it past Apple, th- right? Past Apple, which these days has become easier. <laughs> they, <laughs> they seem to be letting all kinds of stuff in the store that I probably wouldn't. But, um, but basically, it's kind of a it's basically a hurdle that you mm-hmm. are that you are um, hurdling over <laughs> that you are clearing <laughs> uh, that um, that is kind of a minimum level of skill that you're showcasing. Uh, and so that's something that that if you can do that and you can, you know, they're like, hey, what have you built? You're like, well, I got this app in the App Store and then here's the link, right? You can go download it yourself. That in, in and of itself shows a whole series of things that you've learned how to do that maybe somebody else who's done a tutorial or two online but has never done that doesn't know how to do. Right. You, you, you're communicating a couple of things then. You have sort of a, a nod of approval from Apple QA that this is good enough to pass whatever bar they set for the store and also you've mastered the the not difficult once you know how to do it process of getting something to the app store which is really mission critical for any anybody who wants to make money through these apps is if you if you can't do that part then you're out of luck if you've been if you're able to write the app you're certainly going to be able to figure out how to get it into the app store but it it's important to to demonstrate that so it sounds like probably the the testing thing doesn't provide much significant benefit and has the drawback of not demonstrating I can get something into the app store. Right. I mean, you do probably, mm, I don't know, a quarter of what you would do to get it approved to get it into test flight. So there is some skill um, demonstration there. Um, and it, it just depends on, on what you're trying to accomplish. Um, but in general, if, if the point of this application is really to get it public so that you can use it as a way to showcase your skills to employers, the best outcome there is to put it fully live in the app store and make it available, you know, either for sale or for free or whatever, but get it so that people, anybody can download it and use it. Um, like, like we said, it, it showcases several skills uh, in that one thing. And for getting stuff onto the internet, I, there are several options. We mentioned Heroku and DigitalOcean. If you have a purely front-end project, you can go through GitHub pages or uh, a handful of others that are escaping my, my mind right now. Basically, there are a ton of ways of getting any, whether it's server back code or, or serverless code, out and live. And that's much easier than it was even like three years ago. But it is uh, a good sign that you can, you can do that. You can get something public. Right. I mean, there's kind of that, that sort of silly old adage of, you know, real developer ship, right? And that's, I think, something that you need to be aware of, even as a brand new developer with little experience. Um, you, you do need to showcase that you can do the job. And part of the job is, is deployment, is getting the, the application, the code that you've written out there so that people can use it. Um, and that's a skill in and of itself. It's not software development necessarily, but it is still an important skill that you need to showcase. So getting it live is important. We can, what we'll do is we'll put some links in the show notes about some different ways that you can do that for both native and web applications. The thing that's cool is a lot of those places, Heroku and those other, those other, um, options, 
usually have really good help, um, really good documentation on their sites that show how to get things up on their systems and get and them great live. great automation of stuff, too. Yeah. So um, it, it, if, you, if we're saying these things and you're going, I don't know what any of this is, how does that work? Um, what, the first place we would recommend you, that you look is when you pick a platform to deploy on, look at their own help documentation because typically it's really good um, and it will really uh, help you a lot in getting that thing deployed. Okay, we've talked about how big of a project you ought to aim for, uh, how much you should be doing your own work versus building on top of things other people have done and how to show it to the world once you're finished. We haven't actually said what kind of thing is a good thing to build. So, and that that's kind of the age-old question, right? What should I build? <laughs> uh, when we were teaching um, and we had uh, the opportunity to help our students with their final projects, which is Essentially, what we're talking about is an opportunity for them to showcase their skills to us uh, as their instructor and kind of prove kind of finally that the things we've taught them are things that they've actually integrated into their knowledge and experience. Um, but also, it did serve kind of the dual role of, of sort of proving that they're ready to graduate and um, then providing a way to showcase those skills to potential employers because we did a thing called Demo Day, which allowed them to literally sort of science fair style show off their application and their code to a bunch of people that we would invite to the event many of which were um, hiring managers and recruiters and people that were interested in hiring um, junior developers so pretty much exactly what we're talking about here where you might build something and go to an interview and showcase it the same thing is something that we did um, with our students and one of the very first things when we kind of were getting close to uh you know we're, we were we were honing in on that last couple of weeks. The most popular question I would get as a teacher is like, what should I build? What should, what should I do? What kind of product should I make? What would be the most impactful right there? It's not necessarily even, you know, just sort of generally what genre of app should I pick, but it's really how can I best showcase my skills? What, what app would be the best vehicle to do that? Um, and it, I think the answer, unfortunately, is it depends, <laughs> right? It depends on um, what you are interested in and, and kind of what excites you and and what you what part of development you've gravitated towards. So if you are a front-end developer or a back-end developer um, or you're a native developer or whatever, it just kind of depends on where your, um, where your talents lie around I feel like I'm. I've really gravitated towards this part of development, and I think I'm. The, my skills are strongest here. That I think is in part going to kind of help inform you about what you should build because you want to play to those strengths as much as possible. Yeah, and I think uh, to balance out the kind of drawback that there's no clear answer because it, it depends. At the same time, I think for the purposes that we're talking about here, it doesn't matter very much because. Is there another thing out there that does what you have in mind? Probably. Is your somewhat unique spin on it going to launch a, a $10 million business? Probably not. And that's okay. The goal of this is not to go into your, um, your potential employer and say, I don't really need a job because this thing is making buckets of money. Right? The, the goal is to say, I can build something like the things that make buckets of money, even if there's one already out there that is already making the buckets of money. Yeah. Yeah. We're not, we're saying that you don't need to worry about building the next Facebook, right? The next thing that's going to be worth a ton of money um, on its own, because it's just very unlikely that's going to happen. That requires a, a, 
a lot of luck for one thing. <laughs> um, so really what you should focus on are things that you can control. So that would be um, trying to pick a project, you know, a type of project that would showcase the kind of development and the kind of skills that you think you're good at, that you've kind of, you know, everybody tends to have when you're learning this stuff of the hundred things you have to know how to do, there might be a couple things that you either particularly enjoy doing or that you think you're particularly good at. Um, and so what you want to do is try and focus on those in particular, if that's the kind of work that you want to do, right? I mean, some of this is going to be, um, this is signaling a little bit. Uh, so if you build a thing that is heavy on database work, and you really are proud of that and you showcase that in your presentation, then that's going to signal to people that, oh, this is what this person likes to do and this is what they're good at. Um, so one thing I can tell you is don't, don't work a project that, on, you know, that is heavy on a thing that you don't like because that's just going to sort of send the wrong signal to employers of, oh, this person loves doing you know, UI animation. And you're like, actually, I hate that, right? So it, it just you need to be thoughtful about what you choose there. Um, and so, but it also has to be working applications. So it can't just be a bunch of SQL statements that <laughs> pull data from a database. It actually has to do a thing. It has to, it has to, you know, be functional and useful in some way. Apple actually has as one of their requirements for the App Store that there has to be a minimum level of functionality in your application in order to be eligible for inclusion in the App Store. And the idea there is that they just don't want to end up with a whole store full of apps that don't really do anything, right? That are virtual business cards or that are things that are just kind of really plain and boring and, and don't serve much of a purpose. Um, and I think that's a good thing to keep in mind here is it doesn't have to do very much, but whatever you choose to have it do, it needs to be... It needs to work for one thing, and then also it, it needs to be something that people can see value in. So we, when we were judging um, ideas for final projects, that was one of our criteria: is we, if we hear we hear a pitch and we go, oh, "It's kind of cool," but I don't really understand why. Why would I want to use that? Why why would why would the potential ideal customer of this even want to use it? Because it doesn't have to necessarily appeal to the person evaluating it. The, that person just has to be able to understand. If I were the kind of person this is built for, would I want to use it then? So that's really what we're talking about here is doesn't have to be something that everyone's going to love, um, but it has to be something that people who are in that market would find useful. Right. And I think the, the best way to get something that is going to appeal to people in the target market that you're imagining is to make sure that you're part of that target market. Right. Right. So... And given that, there can be just a million different things. You know, if you're someone who goes to the gym regularly, maybe there's a particular workout plan that you want to keep track of, and an app or a web app could help with that. Or if you have roommates, maybe there's some kind of uh, chore organizing schedule or um, budget for who's responsible for food versus utilities or something. Or uh, if you go to a church, maybe there's something around people voting for favorite hymns or something. Okay, I think the last thing we wanted to talk about was the concept of whether it's better to work on things completely on your own or to try to build something as part of a group or join a group that's building something. Yeah, and I think the answer to that is also it depends. It depends. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> most of our you could basically boil this whole this whole web, this whole episode down to it depends. We should um, probably start adding a, a TLDL to the beginning of these episodes. Too right? long, didn't Just, listen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so 
working with others, should you, should you not? Of course you should, right? Like if, if we're talking about in general, yes, it's a great idea to do that. You can gain all kinds of experience and knowledge and tips and tricks from people um, that do it differently than you and it potentially can improve your workflow and make you faster and more efficient. Great idea, um, especially as a junior because there's going to be a lot that you don't know and a lot of people are going to have different ways of doing things and you're, you're going to kind of – uh, take all of that from those people and kind of mold it into a custom style for you that will serve you well in your career. So great general advice. There's also the issue of um, being able to split responsibilities because some people are better at some things than others. And certainly I had students who had gone through a very back-end focused curriculum and were great at server-side logic and dealing with databases. But the things that users actually saw were kind of ugly. And when those people were able to pair with people who had uh, gone through a front-end program and were more interested in UI sorts of issues, then their stuff came across a lot better because you had a beautiful interface with a lot of functionality backing it up. We even had some students who had been designers in a former career. Mm -hmm. And so they come in and they just make these beautiful things. And whenever they would pair up with other people, you can tell like, oh, wow, this really is more than the sum of its parts, right? The design um, the design insight from that person and the back-end knowledge from the other person, and it just kind of really comes together and makes a, a really amazing application. We were, we were kind of continually stunned by the yeah. quality of the apps when they were done uh, at the end of the course. Like, wow, a bunch of people who basically had z- essentially zero experience building software 12 weeks ago have just built this amazing application. Um, so there, it really does, it can pay very strong dividends and is a great idea. Should you do it in this particular scenario? So you're, t- you're not necessarily in a classroom setting. You're not with a bunch of people that you just spent 12 weeks with. Maybe you're by yourself um, learning on your own. Should you seek out other people to work on this specific project? So this get your, you know, the experience gaining uh, skill showcasing app that you're going to use for employers. I think it, it depends on really who maybe you, which companies you intend to apply to and kind of where you want to slot into the industry. Uh, we got, we had campuses all over the country and um, we got advice from various local employers in the local markets where the schools were. And unfortunately it ran the gamut. You'll be able to guess the answer for that too. <laughs> yeah. It, it ran the gamut of, uh, we don't want to see any group projects from from your graduates because we want to be able to individually analyze and assess each applicant um, on their own merits. And it's just very difficult to do that when the application, you know, it's a repo that's got four contributors on it and you don't really, really know exactly where it all came from. Um, and then we had other employers who were like, no, no, we really, really want to see group projects because we want to see that they can work together because they're going to work on a team in, at our company. And it's really important that they have these interpersonal skills and that they, like you said, they can allocate um, tasks to different people and play to different strengths and all that good stuff. So again, the answer is basically what I'd tell you is do some research. So before you get too far into this, um, Think about where you would like to work, what kind of industries you'd like to work in. The cool thing about software is that software is kind of eating the world. So basically, if there's a thing that you're interested in as far as a topic, there's probably a company that makes software for that thing. Like it, it, It's very likely that, that uh, there's pretty much software in every industry. So think about what kinds of work you'd like to do, what kinds of apps you'd like to build with your software skills, 
professionally um, and then maybe try and find some companies that do those things and see what they look like. Are they tiny? Are they little startups? Are they giant 100,000 employee, you know, hulking corporations? Are they somewhere in the middle? Um, And that might help inform you a little bit about what they're likely to want. Or you know what? You go further than that and um, proactively ask them. I'll be interested in applying to your place fairly soon. Um, What sort of projects would be the cast me in the best light? Would you like to see individual work or would you like to see me working as part of a group? Because then not only will you know what kind of things they would most like to see, but you'll establish yourself as the kind of person who's eager to, uh, to make a good impression, which makes a good impression. And kind of conscientious about about doing that smartly rather than just yeah. kind of assuming, right? Right. Yeah, I would tend to say uh, reaching out to companies is is always a good idea. You should be trying to establish uh, those sort of relationships early anyway. And for uh, dealing with the fact that we heard a lot of different opinions around uh, whether you ought to work with others or not, I tend to come down more on the side of thinking it's better to work with others so long as you have um, clearly defined roles for this kind of project. In, in kind of general software development, if you have multiple people with the same sort of functionality, that's fine. That helps you get more work done. But for showcasing your skills, I think it's important to be able to say, this part is mine and that part is not. But also, um, the overall thing looks better than I could have done by myself because I work with people who had complementary skills. Yeah, I think that that even goes down to uh, trying to keep um, a clear demarcation of like who commits what to the repo, and and so that so that it uh, some organization around making sure that you all are contributing what you need to contribute, and you're contributing uh, the things that you find you know to be your strengths, um, and that there's that clear demarcation between the different. Uh, responsibilities and that even that even boils down to like who committed what to the repo so that you can actually digitally sort of apportion this is like you can see here's the commits where you see me working on xyz feature that i was responsible for um and it isn't muddied by a bunch of other you know people's uh, you know authorship from committing things that are similar and they're stepping on your on your your files and i mean that that showcases not only that you got done what you said you were going to get done but also that you have some skills at getting everyone kind of wrangling all the developers and getting them so that um you can all march forward and get something done in a in an organized way because if you've worked on a repository with other developers and you don't have these kinds of things in place I'm sure you are aware that it can get really messy really quickly. Um, and so that it kind of, again, kind of like with the App Store, you're, by, by just deciding we are going to take an organizational and sort of um, uh, each to their own approach to this, even when it comes to the, the repo, that shows a couple different skills, right? Your ability to get your own work done, your ability to organize the people and make sure that it's done in an efficient way. Um, you're, you're signaling a whole bunch of things by making that one decision. So um, I think working with others is fine. And and a way to do that would be, um, let's say you have learned on your own and you don't have a lot of other people around you that are kind of also, you know, and you're doing the same thing and getting the same experience. Look for meetups and look for places in your, in your area where, where there are people that um, are either learning or that they're, you know, they're working developers or whatever. Um, Go to the meetup and, uh, and introduce yourself at some point 
maybe even talk to the organizer and say, hey, I'm working on a project and I'm actually looking for some people to help me um, just to gain the experience. It's all, you know, in public on GitHub or whatever. Uh, can I can I have 30 seconds at the end of the meetup to announce that to everyone? I, I guarantee you the meetup organizer will be happy to, to, to stop speaking early and let you jump uh, up to the podium and, and announce that and, and uh, try and get some volunteers to help you. Um, so if you are in a place where you just don't have a lot of other people that are, um, you know, that are doing what you're doing, seek out groups like that because that will be a way where you can, uh, you know, make some friends hopefully and, and get some help. And if there are any meetup organizers listening, and I know there's at least one because I'm looking at them, um, <laughs> I think that would be a great meetup topic because I know uh, organizers are always looking for speakers or, or ways to fill the the next you know, session mm-hmm. yeah. to just say, hey, everybody come in and talk about a project you have that you're working on or an idea you have you'd like to work on. And let's see if we can get people paired off and uh, and, and get some software built. Yeah, I'm probably going to steal that. That's a good idea. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so you helped at least one organizer. Yay. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up there. Um, ben, if people would like to know more about the show, where can they learn about us? So everything you know about the show is on our website at mvc.fm. You can listen to the episodes right on the webpage. You can get all the show notes that we've talked about, all the links that we might have mentioned or not mentioned. Um, be sure to go there to check that out. Um, and if you want to communicate with us, the best way to do that would be through Twitter. We are on Twitter at MVC Podcast. You can uh, follow us there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.